0: Hello and welcome to Sleeping Giants, the East Anglian Daily Times and Ipswich Stars Sports Podcast. Things did not go to plan against Rotherham as it took a last-minute David McGoldrick equaliser to salvage a point from what should have been a very winnable game. The fans, though delighted to see McGoldrick back and scoring, did not hide their feelings as the uh, result when the final whistle came. To discuss that match and look ahead to the game against Sheffield Wednesday, we've got Chris Brammer, who covered last weekend's match, and Stuart Watson, our Chief Football Writer. Chris, we'll start with you. What was the atmosphere like in Portman Road last Saturday when the final whistle eventually blew?
1: First and foremost, I've got to say what a goal it was by David McGoldrick, and, and take it out of the whole context of what's been going on. You're not going to see a better goal at Portman Road this season. As it happens, it was scored amidst lots of booze. Mick McCarthy getting some some abuse, um, and it was a it was a weird feeling. I've never seen a crowd turn so quick. It was like. Turning the tap off, they were cheering one minute when Goldrich scored. There was kind of a bit of a relief. Literally, as soon as the referee blew his whistle, it turned to booze. I've never seen anything like it. And I do get the feeling that some people actually were there who almost wanted Ipswich to lose because it they thought it might it might well have forced Marcus Evans's hand. I don't think it would have done, but I think that's the, the the feeling that's happening at the moment. It was very toxic after the game. Uh, lots of things said at mccarthy who to be fair to him went in the center circle stood with his chest out applauded all four sides and took it on the chin like i i expected him to um but it's it's not great at the moment i think it'll be a different atmosphere away from home i think it always is uh because you get you, you get your hard more hardcore fans should i say who tend to they'll the take more on the chin away from home whereas the the people that go to the home games are paying a lot of money for the season tickets and things like that and they're expecting results every week. So I think it'll be slightly different at Hillsborough.
0: The attendance on Saturday wasn't great. It was probably one of the lowest of the season, taking into account the fact that they always add in the season ticket holders who might not necessarily have been there. Uh, were there even fewer people there at the final whistle? people started to leave? Because when the goal alert flashed up on my phone, it said... 90 plus 5 for McGoldrick's equaliser out of 4 minutes of added time so had there been a bit of an exodus before that equaliser came
1: I'd not noticed it that much obviously I think there, were, there, there is always people that leave early regardless of whether your team's winning or losing that's just the way some people are but uh, I'd not really noticed much difference not that I'd looked much at the stands during the game and you're busy doing your social media and writing your report and everything but it was the volume and the noise that struck me the fact that Yes, they related that David McGoldrick's grabbed and what could be a crucial point at the end of the season. But then as soon as the whistle blew, it was booze. But it was it was the abuse during the game and the, the, the stink that McCarthy was getting during the game that I've never witnessed before at Ipswich. You know, they're quite a patient bunch on the whole. They know the football, don't get me wrong. They know when something's not right, but they, it takes a lot for them to turn like that and they, to actually be singing during the game and saying what they
0: were saying about him I thought that was quite significant I went to the um, the supporters clubs AGM the week before and obviously talked about the results and team selection everything came up but one of the things McCarthy made a point of saying during that when he was being questioned by some of the fans was that he can take whatever the, the crowd throws at him and he's happy to do that because he's ultimately responsible for the team selection and the tactics and everything but he was urging people to get behind the players during the match to give them support and show that they are at least behind the players and their efforts. Did that come across in the match? Were they behind the players during the game and wait until the end of the match to, yeah, to they, sort of vent their frustrations at the manager? They were
1: getting behind the players because I don't think you could can, can question what the players were trying to do on the pitch. I think once they started getting a little bit panicky at 2-1 down they started they stopped because in the first half they were playing some nice neat triangles footballs without having the end product second half it turned into percentage football and long balls and I think that's where the frustration suddenly came in and it wasn't so much at the players or at the manager on that particular day it was the whole situation that it had got to that that they were suddenly 2-1 down against a team that hadn't got a point away all season and they didn't know how to get back into the game or they were un- unable to and that seems to have happened over a period of time rather than yeah. it wasn't an isolated incident.
2: You're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, Mick McCarthy was in his press conference yesterday was saying that he, he didn't think the atmosphere was fitting of the performance. Now I wasn't at the game, you were, Chris, but from from everything you've told me and, and what I've read and whatnot, it was a reasonable <clears> performance. <throat> I think it's a team that most people would have picked, an attacking team. So I don't think it was that game in isolation, which caused that reaction, Mick sort of saying he's baffled by that. It was an extreme reaction for that game. I think he's got to accept that this has been building up. This that was the straw that broke the camel's back, going two-one down to Rotherham. Not that particular game in isolation. You know, you can go back to the Rotherham game at Portman Road back in March. You know, a one-nil home defeat, pretty poor then. I mean, the, the stagnation has been setting in really since since the turn of the mm-hmm. calendar year. Really, so. I think Mix being either a little bit naive or, or just, you know, it, when he says that it was, you know, just one game in isolation, and that by and large he's had everyone behind him. This this has been a gradual process, as you say. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a critical moment, I think.
1: I think as well, he says he can take on the Chinese, the manager, he makes the decisions and all that, and but that's where the, the problem lies. Yes, he makes the decisions. Yes, he knows more about football than pretty much everybody else. But it's the fact that when fans do suggesting and suggest them in such numbers and volume that such and such should be playing or maybe we should be playing this way and that way and it's just dismissed totally i think that's where the problem lies it's, it's not the fact that yeah he, he's not willing to take it on the chin he will do it's the fact that there's a dismissive air about the club that. The fans will turn up, pay the money, be expected to cheer and and quite rightly they should do but they shouldn't be allowed to have a voice either in terms of tactics and player selection and I think that's, while yes he gets paid the big money to do it and his decision should be final, I don't think there should be such a dismissive attitude towards
0: the fans. One of the positives to come out of the... Rotherham game was the fact that not only was David McGoldrick back in the lineup, but he was also scoring and ultimately saved Ipswich's which is blushes at the end of the day. How big a boost is it going to be for the team to have him back and presumably now given that he had uh, quite a good game and obviously scored being regularly in the starting lineup, we hope?
2: Massive, massive. Um, I think we forget how good David McGoldrick was during that 13-14 season real talismanic figure I think on his day in his position he's as good as there is in the championship we forget that Leicester City were offering 7-8 million pounds for him just before they went up he could be in that Leicester team that was winning the Premier League instead of Joa, who went there instead in the end. Um, He's been a massive loss, and I think any you take that sort of player out of a team, you know, Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday, you took take Forestieri out of the Sheffield Wednesday team, that would that would be a massive blow to them. And it's not just been McGoldrick; it has been Johnny Williams at the start of this season. Ryan Fraser injured at his very peak last season. Teddy Bishop missed the whole of last season after having such an impact the year before. All the same type of players, those creative sparks. So. All the, net, all, all the criticism that we've thrown at the team and at McCarthy, which I think is, is valid, there has always been that massive caveat that McGoldrick and all those other players that I mentioned haven't been there. So when people ask me about have we reached the tipping point with Mick McCarthy, I think we're getting there. And I think what Chris said, his attitude towards the fans hasn't helped him. I think if he'd have come into this season and said, look, it's a bit of a transitional season. I'm trying to get us to play a different way. I've got a ball-playing centre-back in Webster and signed a couple of, of wingers etc etc there would have been a huge amount of leeway because Mick has banked a huge amount of credit and he's done a loads of great things for this club in terms of stabilising them he's not helped himself with some of his comments to go back to what I was saying he deserves he massively deserves a few more weeks to see if he can get the best out of a fully fit squad and if you look at this squad on paper arguably it's the best he's had in his four years here you look at
1: McGoldrick on Saturday and every time the ball went to him something happened even if it was the fact that he was having to come deep to get the ball which was making him less effective but every time he got the ball you could feel something brewing amongst the fans that you know they thought something could happen here he was demanding the ball he was very good on the ball he bet, rarely gave it away and then he showed that bit of class at the end to score as well and like says you forget how big a player he is really you know
0: do you think there's a, a possibly a slight sense of financial constraint on the I mean, we've spoken about his transfer dealings before and how much money is available to him but having had players like uh, Bishop and McGoldrick out for for long spells and people saying well we need to have someone in that ilk, do you feel that there might have been a sense of well I don't want to go out and spend money on players to replace them because I know at some point I'm going to get them back so has he sort of made a rod for his own back in that sense and sort of saying I'll have to bide my time because I don't want to waste money on players who were then going to be duplicated when these guys have already gone? Come back fit.
2: Well, the money I don't think would have been there anyway to do it, and um, replacing a player of McGoldrick, but you, you don't just go out and get a loan player that's like for like from McGoldrick or, or any of the other players that we mentioned. So, yeah, there's, there's undeniably been circumstances surrounding the sort of the decline this calendar year. They still finished seventh last year, and. and Honestly, on a daily basis, I'm sort of wrestling between the two arguments. I can see it from a fan's point of view. If I was turning up and I'd paid however much money for my season ticket or 25, 30 quid on, on the gate every day, I would not be happy because there has been absolutely zero entertainment value. And despite the caveat of, of what we've said about you know the constraints against Mick, he's not helped himself at times because he still could have used Andre Dezel a little bit more. He, you know, he could have tried to give Josh Emmanuel Miles Kenlock more of a run in the team. Things that would have got the fans on side and if he'd have explained to them and say, "Look, these are the circumstances. I'm fighting with one hand behind my back. Stick with me, guys. I'm trying to build something." I think people would be 100% behind Mick McCarthy and and they wouldn't be so down on on the results at the moment because at the end of the day, they're only six points off the playoffs still. It's not an entire disaster with the, with the third of the season played, but it's the it's, it's the style of play that's, that's really grating on people and it's mixed attitude that's starting to grate on people I think that, that's the bigger issue
1: I think there's a frustration there as well that people can see that they're actually not far off I mean I sat there last weekend and whatever you think about what you've seen this, this season today they had Tom Lawrence, they had Grant Ward who admittedly didn't have his best game but Lawrence was lively. Johnny Williams came on and played well Freddie Sears looked back to his best up front David McGoldrick they're not far away. And if you can get all those players playing together in that same team, then all of a sudden things could turn around quickly.
0: Yeah, we're also mentioning Freddie Sears, he's now sort of, that's his uh, second goal that he's got after having gone for so long without scoring. So great news for, for him, and obviously can't forget uh, that as well. So potentially now two strikers who are back and firing. And obviously you say, Chris, that they were playing better football. Is part of that because they were playing rather than this supposed lesser team, put an attacking line out in the same way that he did against McCarthy did against Burton what I'm getting at is are we likely to see similar selection similar style of play come the match at Sheffield Wednesday
1: well I think you, they were playing Rotherham but and you, and you say that, that they were able to play more football against Rotherham but what you do tend to get a lot of the times with teams at the bottom is they'll they come and they'll defend and they'll scrap which th- then tends to make your team revert to type and do the same so um, I think they played good football because they had good footballers on the pitch. The problem was the end product. There was nothing in the final third, really. apart from I think Kenlock had a header in the first half that was saved. But apart from that, it, it sort of died down in the final third. As for this weekend, it's slightly different kettle of fish. There's a, they're going to a team that are in the top seven or eight. I think McCarthy, and, and I think a lot of people would agree with him, that he, he might be a little bit more defensive and I don't think you could argue too much with that like when they went to Newcastle, problem
2: with that is if the other team scores early then how do you change it? I think ordinarily I'd be sitting here saying he definitely will revert to type, Douglas will be straight back in the team, Leon Best will be the lone striker, I've actually got a sneaky feeling just from listening to the way McCarthy was talking that I think he, he might, st- I think he saw enough from the performance last Saturday to stick with a fairly similar team maybe Teddy Bishop might come out he might get withdrawn for a tough away game he might go with a, a Douglas or a, or a Kevin Brew in there but I think the rest of the team is going to be fairly similar he's certainly talking a lot about Sears and McGoldrick being his partnership going forwards and that would suggest that he wants to go back to his Wolves days two flying wingers in Warden Lawrence two two strikers up front Uh, I think he abandoned that with a fairly heavy heart towards the start of the season, and I think he might now be committed to, to playing that a bit more going forward. Obviously,
0: that'll be music to fans' ears, won't it? If they actually start. Obviously, 4 4 2 is sort of a bit of a derided system these days with people wanting to play sort of fancy, attacking, fluid formations, but we know it's worked well for McCarthy. We know that when he gets it right, he really does get it right, and it's resulted in promotion. But certainly playing two strikers up front, wouldn't you think that the fans will be quite happy to see a bit of a change on that front?
2: Yeah, I guess it, well, it's, it's 4-4-2. I mean, we, we, we could put whatever figure on it. McGoldrick, as Chris says, drops very deep. We, we spoke to him as well this week and he said he loves dropping deep, virtually becoming a midfielder and, and making them play. And I think that's what Ipswich have missed. They've missed that midfielder who demands the ball all the time, which McGoldrick certainly does. So he drops very deep. Freddie Sears will play on the last shoulder, which uh, we all know is his best position, um, and I guess the the two other midfielders will hold. So four two three one, I guess that's what what most people put a label on it these these days. But um, either way, I think it's it's a formation that, that fans will, will want to see.
1: I was talking to a friend, funny enough, last night, who follows Ipswich, and he he pointed out, and I've not thought about this before, the Reading game last season where they lost five one. That's where it all started to unravel a little bit. He went there with an attacking formation, Now, whether the goals were lucky goals or well worked or bad defending. From that moment on he shut up shop and it's been like that ever since and it's going to take a lot for him to change again to go back to something like that formation but maybe eventually now once again he he has got that
0: trust in his players that he thinks he's got the personnel to be able to do that. Moving on to the opposition then for Saturday. Sheffield Wednesday having a much better time of it than Ipswich at the moment. How tough a team are they going to be to try and get a result from for Ipswich, especially away from home?
2: I think they had a bit of a slow start to the season, but they've um, they've certainly started to find their stride recently. I know they lost 2-0 at, at Derby last weekend. They both set-piece goals. Um, but really like what Carlos Carvajal's doing there, Portuguese head coach. Um, you listen to him he's the complete opposite to Mick McCarthy in terms of Mick's the ultra pragmatist I think Carvajal goes the other way I think he was saying that he hasn't got any room in his team for a nightclub bouncer wasn't nightclub it? bouncer was it Chris <laughs> yeah. yeah who was he referring to there uh, in terms of a defensive midfielder he'd,
1: yeah he'd rather not play with a yeah. stopper yeah so I
2: mean it's I mean that's music to fans ears. I, I guess there'll be times maybe where that's then considered naive if they if they get done on the counter attack or whatnot, but it seems to be working for them so far. They finished sixth last season and uh, made it to the playoff final. Were fairly comfortably beaten by by Hull, even though it was one nil. Um, I think they'll they'll be up there contending for the top six again for sure.
0: Do you think McCarthy will be bold enough to try and exploit that possibly slightly gung ho attacking style that Carvajal says he likes to to play, and, and particularly? that opposite style to Mick McCarthy where he's not interested in defensive midfield as McCarthy obviously is but will he be able to get in and, and make use of the fact that they haven't got a Skews or a Douglas?
2: Yeah as I say I've got a feeling that he's from everything he's been saying this week I think he's going to go with a, a fairly similar team to the one that lined up against Rotherham which which was pretty bold. I'm, I might be wrong but um, I think Wednesday play 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1 with Forestieri just dropping off so I think it will be a fairly similar lineup from Ipswich. He, he likes to match up, so it will be four-four-one-one one with McGoldrick in, in the hole. That's that's the way I see them playing.
1: You see Gunco, but and you look at Wednesday's lineup, and there is a lot of attacking options in the team. But they do tend to play a, a very big possession game, so they have a lot of possession and play across the back, and they play across midfield, and the build-up can be quite slow at times, which I think if McCarthy does go defensive they can sort of play into their Ipswich's hands because one thing they are very good at is defending and keeping the shape so I think it could be a very cagey game tomorrow, Wednesday haven't quite hit the top form, they're not scoring the goals they were last season, Ipswich certainly aren't scoring the goals they were two seasons ago so
2: I think it might be a tight game that could be decided one goal either way. It's been 1-1 the last four times Ipswich have gone to Hillsborough. Mick's got a really great record against Sheffield Wednesday. It's one of those odd, odd quirks. Probably doesn't mean anything, but we've just been looking at the stats. He's faced them 13 times as a manager, uh, and not lost to them yet, home or away, including his, his time at Wolves. Um, as Chris said, Wednesday aren't exactly, you know, smashing teams. I think every single one of their victories has been by a single goal this season. So I don't think there'll be a lot in it. Just very quickly,
0: uh, you wrote a piece. This week, Stuart, about Andre Dazel and McCarthy saying that he's not ready for sort of regular life in the Championship at the moment. And this goes back to the point we were making earlier about the fans wanting to, to see a little bit of that youth talent, wanting to see something a bit exciting. Do you think that they're going to be sort of
2: overly upset by that? It's not gone down well with the comments that I've seen online this morning. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult one with Andre because. We have, if I'm being completely honest, we haven't seen a lot of him. I mean, there's a lot of hype that people, you know, a lot of hype because of who his dad is and because of the fact that he scored on his debut and he's he's an England under eighteen international. The lad's clearly got massive potential. Um, you know, all the big clubs are looking at him. I know Liverpool have been linked with him heavily this week, but Mick's the one that sees him in training week in week out and. Um, I've been speaking to a former player, I won't name his name because it was an off-the-record comment, but he was sort of suggesting that, you know, perhaps Andre's got to take some responsibility and really be doing more in training to, to to be grabbing the, you know, grabbing his opportunity more and knocking Mick's door down and, you know, not physically, but, you know, in terms of the way he trains and, and whatnot. Um, I know Mick gets... Gets a few pelters for for not giving youth a chance, but you know he gave Teddy Bishop his chance and, and stuck with him in, in the playoff season. Um, he's he's given a few other youngsters a chance. I honestly think if if they're good enough, they're old enough, and Mick will will play them. Um, so he sees Dazelle firsthand every day in training, and if he deems that he's not ready um, at the moment, then then I guess we have to take his his word on that. I think that the one that's slightly different is is the debate about the two full backs, both Josh Emmanuel and Miles Kenlock, whenever they've, they've come in, both come into the team at various different stages this season, played really well whenever we've seen either of them. Mick always talks about if you play well, you keep you keep your place. Well, that's not been the case with those two. Um, he's gone back to his, his settled back four. His argument is, of course, it was his senior back four that kept five clean sheets in seven. So it's difficult to argue against that as well. So as I was saying earlier you can kind of see it from both points of view but is it the time realistically to chuck 17 year old Andre Dizel who looks pretty lightweight still at the moment into the hurly burly of of the championship especially at the moment when times are a bit tough the crowd's a bit toxic and uh, they're having to scrap, scrap out a few points he's probably right it's probably not the right time obviously he does see something in him because he's
0: taken him and, and put him on the bench mm-hmm. so he, he might not have brought him on but he obviously thinks he's got enough about him to be useful in certain situations at certain points of the match. Otherwise, I mean, presumably it's a bit pointless wasting a space on your bench just to take
2: him along for the match day experience. Yeah, I think he's been on the bench six or seven times this season, so he's not like completely been bombed out of the first team picture. He trains with the first team every day from from what we're told, so he's not, you know, he's not been completely sidelined, has he? But um, mix told us yesterday his time will come this season so he said when they start playing a bit better and uh, the results pick up we, we might see a bit more of him then so yeah. the sort
0: of thing where he might come on for 10 minutes at the end of the match if they're 2-3 nil up yeah. and coasting comfortably As well,
2: he says you can you can boost a player's confidence by by chucking him in at the deep end but you can also have a bit of a an adverse effect on someone if you chuck him into a difficult environment and they have a stinker and and I think we forget how young these guys are sometimes I mean they're, they're, he's, he's a boy still really he's 16 just turned 17 if we all think back to what we were like at, at that age you know that must be a hugely daunting prospect to go out and play in front of 15 20,000 people and um, you know they'll they'll be judging not only whether he's physically ready but whether he's, he's mentally ready and I know people will say he dealt with it fine on his debut but that was pretty much an end of season dead rubber wasn't it and um It's it's a different set of circumstances now. So I I guess you have to trust the people that are are seeing these people day in, day
0: out. Presumably if he's uh, made it onto the the team coach for this weekend, his dad would have had to give him a a lift to the stadium to get on there before they uh, head up to Sheffield (laughs) (laughs) Wednesday. But that's all we've got time for on, on this week's Sleeping Giants. So tune in next week for a slightly shortened episode for the reaction to whatever happens this weekend in Sheffield, obviously following weekend is an international break so we'll uh, keep it nice and short next week but thank you this week to Chris and to Stuart and thanks for listening